Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Hey, last week we started talking about uh, our work together in the Lord. And uh, we talked about our purpose. Our purpose being to help people find the peace of God and the purpose of God. This morning, I was watching the... uh, CBS Morning Show, which we usually catch a little bit of. It kind of uh, gives us a few uh, cultural clues on Sunday morning. And they noted that the longest-running drama on TV is going off the air this week. That is the soap opera, The Guiding Light. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about that, because we all know how much uh, sinful living the soap operas depict. Do you know why that soap opera was called The Guiding Light? I didn't either. In the original concept of the show, there was a preacher. And he always left a light on in his office for people who needed guidance. I guess they lost that concept some years ago. You know what's interesting is I think the world uses the soap operas for guidance and other kinds of influence out there. And yet we have the real guidance. That's what we talked about last week. We know the peace of God. We know the purpose that God brings to life through salvation, through our being committed to Christ and discipleship. We know all of that. Um, I guess we could change our name to Guiding Light Baptist Church. Since there's not going to be a TV show anymore, maybe we could pick up the name, huh? The thing that I want to talk to you about today, though, is this. What's it going to take for that guiding light that we do have to affect other people? See, last week, it's moderately easy for me to stand up here and say, we have the truth of Christ. We know how to help people come to the Lord. And we're all going, amen, we believe in discipleship. But this week, we're going to talk about what makes discipleship work. And what makes it work is generous living. Now, what I'm talking about is not you in your own life, but you influencing other people. If we as a church, are going to help people know the peace and purpose of God, it is going to require us to live generously, not stingily. I I want us to understand some things about generous living, and the first thing would be this. What does it mean to live generously? Well, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and look at an example of generous living. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their generosity, their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. 
So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, I'm not primarily talking about money today, but that's one of the issues. But when I'm talking about generous living, I'm talking about everything we have. Now, in this particular situation, what was going on was that uh, the Corinthian folks had made a commitment to give an offering to support some other Christians who were struggling financially. It would be like us telling the folks in Myanmar after the tsunami, hey, we're going to send you an offering. We're going to send an offering to help you out. Now, obviously, the times are different. We can take our money put it in the bank account, and Glenn could type some things on the computer, and it goes into ABWE's bank account, and they can go type on the computer and zoom. It's in Myanmar within hours. They couldn't do that back then. And so it had to travel by hand. And so they said, we're going to send an offering. And as time went on, the Apostle Paul now, he goes back to him and he goes, hey, you said you were going to give an offering, and we're going to send some folks to collect that offering and bring it. Okay, <laughs> That's what you call making a pledge. We don't, we don't make pledges in our church, and we don't check up on what you're going to give. I guess it's biblical, though, so maybe we should do that. I don't know. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that he's, in talking to the Corinthians about giving, he talks to the, these, the uh, he gives an example to them. He said, there were some folks in Macedonia who were under great affliction. And out of their deep poverty, they gave. And he says, they not only gave, but look what it says here, verse 5. Not only as we hoped. All the Apostle Paul hoped for was the money. Now, I'm not saying he was materialistic, but he was just saying, these people have a need, these people can give, and they said they're going to give, so that's going to be great. And that would have been enough for him. But he says, not only that, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us, by the will of God. These Greek believers saw a need, and they said, we have to do something. And they did it out of a deep sense of devotion to God. They didn't do it like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. You remember that episode where, where people were selling property and giving the money to the church to, to support other Christians. And these, this husband and wife came in and said, we had a piece of land and we sold it for 10 grand and here's the money. And the reality was they'd sold it for 20 grand or whatever. And somehow they were trying to get some fame, some reputation, something. They were not devoted to God. They were devoted to something else. But not these folks. Because they first gave themselves to God and then they did what was necessary for God's ministry. This is an example in the monetary realm. Let's look at an example in the um, personal realm, if you will. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, how, talked about how he acted among the Thessalonians. We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. 
Well, the Apostle Paul went out to start a church, to bring people to faith in Christ. He didn't put up a poster on the telephone pole and say, y'all come to church. He went out and found some people and prayed with them and taught them and labored with them and invested his life in them. He was a generous liver. Years ago, I had a wife tell me, not in this church, in another church, that her husband did not want to give generously or give what we would consider to be faithfully to God's work because, and this was a guy who also attended our church, by the way, because that would mean putting less money in savings. And one day she came to me and she opens her purse and she pulls out a check and she goes, this is so-and-so's first tithe check. And she was so excited. Here's the reason I share that with you. If you are going to make disciples, if you are going to help people know Christ, you are going to have to let go of some of your stuff. You are going to have to let go of some of your time. There is no other way for it to happen. Uh, I guess if you were all incredibly wealthy, you could hire 200 people to take your place. But that wouldn't be God's way either, would it? God wants us to invest in other people, whether it be children or adults. God wants us to invest in them. He wants us to invest our money. He wants us to invest our time, our ability. If we have a truck to go pick stuff up for the youth group garage sale, he wants us to do it because we're trying to invest in making disciples. He wants us to use what we have. God expects us to take care of ourselves and our own family, God doesn't want any of us to, to be homeless and not, you know, and give away every single thing we own. He doesn't want that. He says we've got to take care of our own. But here's the point. His work will never get done without my having some personal discomfort. It just won't happen. That's why Romans 1.17 says this is the rule of Christian life. The just shall live by faith. See, when I look at a time commitment like coming to Awana every Wednesday night, I think, do I have time for that? Let me use this word. Can I afford that? Oh, you know, that's, isn't that when American Idol is on? Or, you know, well, let's, let's be more spiritual. You know, I've got to be with the kids. I've got to be at home on Wednesday. Or I, this and this and this. Here's the question you have to ask. Can you afford to give away your time so that somebody else can know the Lord? That's the challenge that lays before us. Frankly, there's no other way for it to happen except that. There is no other way. God has chosen to use us in his ministry, and we have to face this challenge of generous living. Uh, and so the, I would ask you some questions. Does your service to God require faith? If it doesn't require faith, maybe it's not quite enough. Does your giving to God require faith? 
The second thing we're going to learn about generous living is this. Not only does it challenge my comfort, but if generous living is real, and if it's going to happen in your life, it will happen as an appreciation of your salvation. Look at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7. Um, that is not, those are not the right verses. Where am I at here? Chapter 9. Verse 9. There we go. For you know the grace of your... Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. There was a special on this week about... uh, the uh, you know 9/11 and the and the trade center bom- uh, bombings and so on, and uh, it kind of featured people who had uh, escaped, if you will, and who had made it through the whole uh, the whole ordeal. And one of them was a lawyer who was staying at the Marriott Hotel doing some business, and you know he heard some things starting to happen, and he thought, well, I need to get my stuff packed up because something's going wrong here, and I'm going to have to get out of here and. And before that could happen, you know, a whole piece of, of one of the towers came down on the Marriott. And if, if you remember a little picture of a building scooped out like that, it's the Marriott Hotel. And the only reason part of it stayed standing was because years before, when they had the bombing underneath, they had reinforced that building. And so part of it stayed strong. And there were a number of people who escaped out of that building, and he was one of them. He's in his room, and this horrendous thing has happened, and and he opens his door, and there's a firefighter with a flashlight. And he goes, come on, follow me. And the guy eventually leads him out to safety. Well, in this this, uh, documentary, 14 months later, uh, this fellow's daughter's getting married. He looks to be my age or a little bit older, and his daughter's getting married. And he invites the firefighter and his wife to come to the wedding. He says, you have to come. And so a guy comes to the wedding, and, and uh, this guy stands up and says, boy, this, this guy saved my life, and he's a great firefighter, and going on and on. And the firefighter gets up, and he's real humble about the whole thing. And the guy looks at him, and he says, you saved my life. Do you understand what verse 9 says? Christ saved your life. He became poor so you could become rich spiritually. And now, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, all of you spiritually rich folk, it's time for you to take that place of helper so that other people can know the Lord. If you find it hard to serve the Lord one of the things you need to think more about is your salvation. You need to contemplate or to appreciate your salvation. Do you remember this episode from uh, Peter's life? Uh, uh, Peter denied the Lord when when the crunch time came. He's there and Christ is being persecuted and he says, no, I don't know him. And, And then we have the crucifixion and the resurrection and some time passes. And here we have... We have Jesus on the seashore. Here's the apostles coming. And Jesus said, said to him three times to Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
If Christ was standing right here right now and he said, do you love me? We would say, yes. Peter said, yes, I love you. And so what did Jesus say to do? Feed my sheep. There's an old story told about a guy came home from work, had dinner, and his wife just really cooked a great, great meal. And boy, he was fat and happy. Got in his easy boy chair, and he, he was just meditating on the beauty of that meal, and he just started to wax eloquent in his love for his wife. He said, dear, I would climb Mount Baker to be with you. I would swim across Lake Whatcom. And he was going on and on about all this flowery stuff. And she said, how about coming in here and washing the dishes? We had a wonderful time of worship. We sang songs of praise to our Father, to Christ. We said, thank you for saving us. We received the bread and the juice and said, thank you for saving us. And that's good. But if you love Christ, you need to do what Jesus told Peter to do. You need to feed the sheep. You need to get your wallet out when the offering comes by or when you hear about some need in Togo and it it needs to come open and say, I've got to do what I can after church today. You're going to be presented with an opportunity to volunteer. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but there's going to be a real plain opportunity for you to volunteer to feed the sheep. And you need to consider... Do I love God enough to feed the sheep? Do I love God enough to help people know Christ better? It's one thing to sing songs of praise. It's quite another to roll up your sleeves and dig into the ministry by helping some squirmy little kid learn Bible verses in Awana. Not you guys. You guys are all perfect. Yeah, yeah. Or spending your free time studying a lesson to teach a group of people in Sunday school. Or coming in on your day off and painting the foyer. Or sitting down on payday and writing that first check to God's work so that the sheep around here and around the world will be spiritually fed. Or devoting time to praying for God's work and God's people here and around the world. Prayer will cost you time. There's a price to pay for praying. But there's a price to pay for not praying. Do you love God? Then feed the sheep. Be involved in his ministry. Generous living not only appreciates salvation, but it contemplates the ways of God. This is the coolest thing. It's one of the reasons I love to preach on these topics. Look with me at chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. And I hope later on, when you have time, you'll read both of these chapters at length and really think about them. But look at chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, again, in in the specific context, he's still talking about giving. I believe the principle applies to all of our service to God. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap 
sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now I know you're going to hear some words right in here that sounds like some of that foolishness you hear on TV called seed faith, and they say, now look, here's what you need to do. You need a blessing, you need a bunch of money, so you send us a hundred bucks and God's going to send you a thousand. That is not what the scripture says. But here is what the scripture says. God says, look, if you will live generously, I will pick up the backside and you will never have a lack. Now here's what I mean when I say you need to contemplate the ways of God. See, what God is telling us here is the way to have plenty is to give away. Now that's upside down, because we all know if you want to have a lot, you've got to hang on to a lot. But God's ways are not our ways. That's what we need to understand. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Or look at this, oh, the depth of riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You see, God is telling us right here, you can trust me. I'm going to take care of you if you will take care of my priorities in the world. But that is not the common wisdom around us. He sat down and he called the twelve and he said, if anyone desires to be first... If he wants to be significant, if he wants to be something, here's the way he should go. He should be last of all and be a servant of all. See, God's ways are not our ways. The human person says, put yourself forward, stand up, move ahead. And God says, look, you serve people. You want to become recognized as a great person. You be a great servant. You help people. You care for people. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. All of these pieces of God's truth are countercultural. They're against logic from the world's perspective. And we need to understand that God's ways are not our ways. Here's the verse that I've... That, uh, let me go one more. This is the verse that I'm basing the title of my sermon on, and I hope you would remember this verse. The generous soul will be made rich. I think in the King James it says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. That's why it's my life verse. (laughs) The generous soul will be made rich. Now, again, that goes opposite of our human way of thinking. We think, I've got to hang on to stuff so I'll have a lot. I went to lunch with somebody one time and we were going through the line and we got up to the part to pay and I reached up for my wallet and he said, no, no, I'm going to pay. And I said, oh, I don't expect that. And he goes, I'm not doing it for you. Jesus said it's more blessed than to give to receive, so I'm doing it for me. I thought, yeah, right on. The generous soul, the generous soul will be made rich. 
You can trust God to take care of you if you give, whether it's giving money or giving time, effort. Frankly, one of the hardest things we have to give in ministry really is, could I call it effort? In other words, uh, you can come up here and sing a song that takes a certain kind of effort, but to sit with a troubled soul who's really struggling in life, that takes a different kind of effort, doesn't it? And it takes, it, 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 it sort of like uses up some of your stuff. <laughs> but you know what? God gives back. Jesus was, sit, Jesus was physically hungry, sitting with the woman at the well, talking to her. The disciples went off to get food, and they come back, and they go, hey, we've got some food. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And they're going, did somebody bring him something to eat? And he was talking about the fact that when you do God's work, God nourishes your soul. You cannot give out too much. Now, you can take in too little. You can take in too little, and that will deplete you spiritually. But if you're taking in from God every day and giving out every day, you know what the net effect is going to be? You're going to be stronger and bigger and brighter and better. You cannot, you cannot diminish what God is going to do in you. But you've got to believe that God says generous living is the path to a great life. Give and it will be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's a fourth thing about generous living we need to understand. Generous living reverberates to God's ears. Chapter 9, verse 12. For the carrying out, the administration of this service, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also it's abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them. Uh, the word reverberation has to do with the movement of sound. Um, everybody be real quiet and listen. Okay, the sound, it kept going a little bit. Now we have a, a, a fairly good building and with all of you sitting in here and the way our sound system is engineered, we don't have sound, 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 going bouncing all around the building. That would be a disaster. Okay. But that's what a reverberation is. Reverberation is when the sound goes out and it hits a wall and it bounces off and it hits another wall and it bounces off and it hits another wall. God says your generous living doesn't stop with the people to whom you minister. It reverberates to God. Because when they are touched by the ministry of God, they, they may not even say thank you for Dave Lunsford, but they'll say to God, thank you for saving my soul. And God's up in heaven going, yeah. That's what God's all about. And so your service hits them and bounces heavenward. Here he's talking about the offering. He says, look, when we carry out this offering and we take it over here, these people are going to be blessed, they're going to be encouraged, and then they're going to say, thank you, God, for the food on my table. We can praise God directly, as we did this morning, and we can praise God indirectly, through our service. He says in verse 13, they glorify God. In verse 12, he says, they thank God. It's, it's kind of the same thing. 
When we use our time and effort and money for God, people are helped in their spiritual lives, physically or spiritually or both, but it doesn't end there. They in turn thank God. I've often thanked God. In fact, probably every time I remember, if some, something brings to light the years I spend in Bible college, I thank God for it. Um, I got right with God. I was prepared for ministry. I met my wife. I had a great time. But those days were the product of much generous living by donors to the school and the teachers and the staff who didn't get rich in human terms there. Their service reverberated off me to God. And I I didn't even think about that. I just thought, thank you, God, for a great epic in my life. Often this reverberation rings and rings and never really stops. Would you think about this with me? And and I'm just going to use my mom as a single example. I could use my dad or I could use a lot of you. But my mom was led to the Lord through the ministry of the First Baptist Church of Cedar Woolley. Right? Pastor Eisenhart was there. So there's a group of people down there, and they're serving the Lord, and she got saved. Okay? And through her influence and my dad's, um, I... You know, their pastor encouraged them to go in the ministry and, and they invested in somebody in the ministry who invested in me and I've invested in people through the years and, and, and just thinking about those people, I mean, some of them are here today and that's a great blessing, but one of them is an army chaplain who just got sent to Hawaii after he spent a year in Iraq and he's influencing people and some of them are getting saved and they're going to influence people. One of those people that I influenced is a youth pastor now. One of them is an Awana commander, and they're influencing people, and they're influencing people. And do you realize that the First Baptist Church of Cedar Willie started a reverberation that will never stop until the Lord comes? And your life could be the same thing. Or you could hang on to it and be stingy and stay at home and keep your money in your wallet, and there will be no impact of your life at all. What a tremendous privilege is ours. It reverberates through the ages and it continues to reverberate to God's ears. Well, the last thing that I want to say here is this. Generous living boomerangs back to the giver. Would you look at verse 14 of chapter 9? Apostle Paul talking about the folks who would be blessed by the offering. And he says, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Now the specific blessing here is prayer. Did you ever think about the fact that if you minister to people, they're going to pray for you? What's that worth? That's a great blessing to have coming back the other way. Um, God says... (laughs) What he says here is that when we serve people, they have a tendency to remember us. Duh. We don't think about that. See, all we can think about is what I want and what's comfortable for me instead of saying, I wonder if God's got this thing wired up completely different. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the answer is yes. There's other ways that generous living boomerangs back to us. Um, One of them is here. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord, 
If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. My dad used to joke this way with me. Now I joke with him. He'll, he'll, like when I went to Pennsylvania or something, you got enough money? And I go, yeah, I got so much money, I got to open my wallet and throw it away once in a while. <laughs> it's not true. Don't sit there wait, waiting. but I have all the money I need. God says, look, try me. You, you know, this is, I think this is the only time in the Bible when God says, test me. God doesn't say, test me with other things in life, but he says, put me to the test. Get your wallet out, he says, and give to me and see if I won't bless you, if I won't boomerang this back to you. Now, frankly, if you're giving to get from God, you're messed up, and it isn't going to work. This is not a technique where you go, well, I need some money, so I'm going to give some. No. No, this is a promise that your life of ministry will never be diminished. It's, it's, it's like the, uh, the widow in the Old Testament with the oil and the grain, and the prophet says, you make some food for me first. And the oil and the grain never ran out, never ran out. He ate and they ate, her and her son, over and over and over. God says, look, it's never going to run out. You don't need to worry about running out. Now, I know we have to be good stewards of our money. We have to, be, we have to plan our use of time. I understand that. But we can be generous in our planning and generous in our giving. The generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will also be watered himself. I'm going I'm to say a statement. And I want you to think in your mind if you, if you know who might have said this, or even what kind of a person might have said this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Who do you think might have said that? Jim Carrey, that's right. Who, who says that? You get the prize, that's right. Jim Carrey, the actor who is phenomenally wealthy, Makes millions and millions of dollars for every movie that he's in. He says, I wish everybody could get rich and famous and have all the stuff they ever wanted so they could see that it's not the answer. I'll tell you what the answer is. The answer is generous living. Generous living. Because you can give and you can share and you can touch people's lives and see the impact of that. And plus God brings right around and takes care of you. I want to challenge you that this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do if we're going to make disciples, if you're going to make disciples. Now, God hasn't called us all to stand up here, hasn't called us all to do this or that or the other, but we can all do some things for the Lord. Let's live generously as we do it. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your great promise that you will always supply, that you will always provide if we put your work first where it should be. Oh, Father, we want to see changed lives. Help us to want that enough that we discomfort ourselves. I pray in Christ's name, amen.